0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians and turning to Colossians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, uh, I said Herman Bavink, but it might have been a different Bavink that made that comment. But there are only two religions and only two paths. Colossians chapter 2 and turning uh, to page 983 in our church Bibles. And this morning we're looking at verses 6 through 10, but maybe we'll begin our reading at the beginning of the chapter at verse 1. Colossians chapter 2, and beginning our reading at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We have uh, been looking at uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians and you remember that in the opening verses of this letter Paul told uh, the, the the Christians there that he was praying for them and one of the things that he was praying for them was is that they would know how to walk in a manner that was worthy of the Lord that those who had come to know the forgiveness of their sins those who had been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son the lord jesus would know how to live in an appropriate way as a result of god's saving work that was paul's prayer and this morning we are coming back to that theme that they would walk in a manner worthy what does it mean to live the christian life and how does one live as a christian and we really want to look at that by looking at uh, what we're coming to now is the beginning of the, or the heart, the center of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Chapter 2 here is the center of what Paul is getting at in his letter. And as he's describing uh, to these uh, this church in Colossae how to live, he is telling them that, that they are to live their life in light of their union with Christ. That he is, he is telling them that this dynamic is to shape the way that they live. Sometimes we can hear something over and over and over again and only later does it start to click. Uh, Maybe we hear a certain phrase being used over and over again and then in our own experience we begin to realize how true that is. Maybe someone says time flies uh, or someone says The older you get, the faster time seems to go. And we can hear that said over and over again. But then as we get older, it does seem true that time does fly. Or the older we get, the faster time does seem to go. That what we heard so often begins to resonate and begins to click into our own experience. The language or the concept of union with Christ may not be something that we've heard uh, very much of. And yet it is a phrase, it is a concept that you hear again and again and again. It is actually the most common way that the New Testament talks about what it means to be a Christian. It uses phrases like in Christ, in him, with Christ, by the Spirit. All of those phrases are describing the Christian with reference to their relationship to the Lord Jesus. And that that captures something of the the mystery, but also something of the dynamic of what makes a Christian a Christian. And so this morning, as we come to Colossians 2, you notice how often that Paul is actually using this this concept, that we would be rooted and built up in him, uh, in the faith, Uh, That we would not be uh, taken captive, but as he says in verse 9, for in him the fullness of deity dwells, that you would be filled in him. And so as Paul is talking to these Christians, he wants them to think with reference to Christ. And while we can hear that phrase, in him, in Christ, over and over again, what we want to be able to do is to understand what that actually means in experience that the Christian is one whose identity, but one whose relation, one whose sense of understanding flows out from a connection with the Lord Jesus. And so this morning we wanna see that because uh, the fullness of deity dwells in the Lord Jesus, we are to trust in Christ uh, for all of life. We wanna think about verses six through 10 in two thoughts. We want to think about the basis for the Christian life. And then secondly, we want to think about the outworking of the Christian life. First, Paul talks about the basis of the Christian life. He says there in verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, That language of receiving uh, is important language. Uh, When you think of receiving something you are acknowledging something before you and you are accepting that thing before you. Maybe the mail person comes to your door and they have a package. Uh, and when you open the door, they hand you the package. You acknowledge that there's someone handing you something and you accept it. Uh, but then the mail person will ask you to sign perhaps, uh, signifying that you have received that package. You understand what is taking place and you embraced uh, this this transfer Uh, of the item. Well, when Paul talks to these Christians here, he talks to them as having received Christ Jesus the Lord. And when you trace in the New Testament, that language of receiving can be used in a very technical sense. It's talking about uh, the receiving of what was transmitted to them. So when we turn to other passages in the Bible, for instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, we also thank God constantly for this, for when you received the word of God, you received it uh, from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received And in which you stand galatians chapter 1 says if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed and so throughout the new testament this language of receiving has the idea of receiving the word of god it has the idea of receiving the message concerning jesus christ and we can summarize that gospel message just with the three words there that Paul uses. Christ Jesus the Lord. That, uh, those terms are used uh, throughout the New Testament in a variety of orders. This is the only time that Paul uses the order Christ Jesus the Lord. But it provides a summary as to that gospel message. And it would be something that would require further unpacking that this message concerns Jesus, the one who was to bring salvation. He is described as both Christ and Lord. As Christ, that would require the unpacking of what does it mean that he is the anointed one. It would require going back to the Old Testament of talking about how there was a promise of an anointed one, that God would set one apart who would deal with sin, but also restore the blessings of God. That there would be one who was anointed with the Spirit beyond measure. That he would have wisdom and he would uphold justice. This was his calling. And so when it says that Jesus is the Christ, it is describing Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. But then to describe Jesus as Lord also would require unpacking. And it would require much of what Paul was saying in this opening chapter. That Jesus is the creator of all things. The upholder of all things. That in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so here this description about the message of the word of God. Centers on who Jesus is. As both the Messiah. The one that was set apart to bring blessing to sinners and the one who is the very authority of God himself. He is the Lord. And so here, this message uh, is summarized even in those uh, descriptions as well. But you'll notice uh, that uh, it's not just talking about certain things that are taught that were received. It wasn't just doctrines that they accepted, but it was the one who was presented to them in those doctrines. It wasn't as though Paul just came and dropped uh, a systematic or a confession of faith and walked away. But when Paul talks about how they received something, he says, you received Christ. You received Christ Jesus. You received a person. Not just certain teachings. And that is ultimately at the heart of what makes a Christian a Christian the reception, the embracing, the accepting of who Jesus is and one's trust in him. One person, uh, Michael Horton, describes this by way of an analogy. He says, imagine a plane landing at night. A plane will land on a landing strip. But alongside the landing strip, there will be the lights. Those lights are there to guide the plane To where it is to land. It is is leading the plane to its destination. It's important that the plane lands on the landing strips. The plane does not land on the lights. The lights are simply there to guide the plane to where it needs to land. The lights then, uh, if they were out, if if enough lights were uh, busted or weren't working... The plane could land out in the ocean. It could land in the wrong spot. And disaster would ensue. But those lights help the plane know where to come to rest. In the same way, those lights are like the doctrine. But it's the landing strip is where the plane is to land. The plane is to land on Christ. But the doctrines help us come to that conclusion. The doctrines help us understand why it is that we should trust in the Lord Jesus. And so doctrine is important because we need right thoughts about God to know what he has done, to know our needs, in order to know why we should trust in the Lord Jesus. But it's not doctrine that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. And it's not how much we know. It doesn't require a lot to be saved. What is important is is that the landing lights bring us ultimately to trusting in Jesus as the mediator between God and man. He is Christ. He is Lord. And so the basis of the Christian life is one has come to accept and to embrace Jesus. They have done that because they are convinced of who he is. Not just they have heard lots of doctrine or theology thrown around, but they are receiving a person and they are trusting in him. So what does it mean uh, to receive Christ? To receive Christ means that you are accepting certain things concerning him. You accept his authority. He is Lord. He is master over you. That his word, his will be done. He is in control. That he is creator over all things and is to be honored as such. But it also means that you accept him as the savior of your sinners, of your sins. You trust in him with your guilt. It means that you trust in him to be redeemed from slavery to sin. It means that you trust in him in order to be accepted and approved in God's sight. That's what it means To trust in Christ. So if we're sitting here this morning wondering. Have I come to trust in Jesus? Then simply ask yourself. What have you come to affirm? What have you come to accept about Jesus? It's a person. That you're dealing with. And we either accept. And embrace. And acknowledge the truth concerning him. Or. We close the door to the male person that is bringing that message to us. To be a Christian, then, is to be uh, someone who has received Christ. There's something we can add to that, though. Everything that Paul is saying to this church in Colossae, all the instructions that Paul will give to them in chapters 3 and 4, all the commands that flow out from it, they flow out because of this understanding of what a Christian is. It is because they are in Christ that he then describes to them how they are to live. That the commands flow out from the union. The participation in that union with Christ presumes that we have come to be united with him. And so everything that Paul is going to write is on the basis that one has already come to receive Christ. It is not enough to simply adopt the practices of Christianity. We don't just turn to Colossians and say, well, I like chapters 3 and 4. Uh, I like how it tells us how the family should work. I like how it tells us how we should live in society. I like how it tells us we should do certain things like pray. I like how it tells us that we should be uh, upholders of truth or whatever. All the, the, the directions for how a Christian lives flow out from this reality that one has already received Christ. And if we don't get that right, we are essentially sowing fig leaves over ourselves. We're trying to look apart, but not having been united with Christ in the first place. And so what is the basis uh, for living the Christian life? It is receiving Christ. A Christian is someone who has been united with Christ through faith by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, uh, how does the Christian life work? What is the dynamic of w- walking in Christ? And you see in verses 6 through 10, he mentions a number of things, both positive but also negative. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving Uh, the christian life not only begins with faith in the lord jesus but the whole christian life is characterized by faith in the lord jesus no longer is a person living ultimately trusting themselves living ultimately for themselves But they live with reference to uh, the glory of God, to the glory of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice in those verses there, Paul uses four different descriptions of what he means when he says walk in Christ. The way you live is out of this union with Christ, this connection with Christ, this relationship with Christ. And he mentions four things First, he mentions being rooted in him like a tree. Uh, We were singing there in Psalm 1, uh, like a tree that is planted near the stream, whose roots have access to the water. It bears fruit. Its leaves are always green. That being rooted in Christ describes the Christian life, that they have life because they are connected to the giver of life. How does a Christian live? They live out of an, a conscious awareness of who Jesus is. Trusting in him for life and for direction. That's what Jesus said when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So they are to be conscious that all of life depends and is Uh, linked with, and live with reference to Jesus. They are rooted in him. Secondly, he says not only are they rooted in him, but they are being built up. Uh, We could actually uh, translate that even more precise, that they are being built upon in him. In other words, a a building that has already started is being built further upon. An expansion, an addition uh, is the idea that he speaks of an ongoing act of be, uh, being built or building upon. The Christian life, then, involves growth, the process of being built up. Uh, the Christian does not remain the way that they are, but they are to long for growth. That's how Peter talks. As newborn babes, we are to long uh, for, for the milk. We are to long for growth, uh, to be built up and to be stronger. The writer of Hebrews tells the Christians that they are to, uh, to, he was expecting that they would grow in maturity, not remaining at the rudimentary principles, but being able to grow in their understanding. Uh, and so the Christian life is one of being built up. Uh, and that is clear by the repeated language of in him, that this growth happens in Christ, not beyond Christ to something else. So how does a person grow as a Christian? They grow by a deeper appreciation of who Jesus is, which leads them to a deeper understanding of identifying with this Christ, which leads them to a greater devotion to that Christ. The more that they take in seeing how Christ is all sufficient, the more that they want to identify with him, the more that they identify with him, the more that they are delighted in who he is. When we sing in Psalm 46, God is my refuge and my strength, we're saying something about the sufficiency, the power, the glory of God. This is where I want to be, because I'm safe. Well, Jesus uh, Paul is saying the same about Christ, that we are to be built up in him. Why would I build my whole life in Christ? Because the more I see who he is, I see how everything comes together. I see that anything else would be like sinking sand. And so I want to be on the rock of the Lord Jesus. I want to be in Christ because there I am safe. So the more we understand who Jesus is, the more we will be inclined to build our lives on the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So he says we are to be uh, rooted in Christ. We are to be built up in Christ. We are to be established in the faith. By recognizing their life in Christ more and more, they will increasingly be established or strengthened in their faith. But this establishing, as it says there in verse 7, uh, being established in the faith happens again how? By knowing the hope of the gospel. That the more that they hear, the stronger becomes their convictions. That they're being taught more of what they have already been taught. That it's not a different teaching that now shapes the Christian life. But by becoming, uh, coming to appreciate the same gospel in a greater way. Remember back in chapter 1, he said in verse 23, uh, he said, uh If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. So as Paul talked to the Christians, his hope was is that they wouldn't shift. They wouldn't move, but that they would be rooted in what they have come to be, that they would be stable in their hope that the gospel would continue to shape them more and more. And so his prayer is is that they would deepen in their understanding so that they would be strengthened in their convictions. They become firm in their faith as they hear the good news and are reminded why they should land their plane on Christ. And so there's something marvelous about that, isn't there? That as we come to the Bible, as we turn to one book in the Bible or we turn to another book in the Bible, Ultimately, we're learning again and again, no matter what we're looking at, whether we're thinking about the wisdom uh, idea or we're thinking about rule and righteousness or whether we're thinking about truth, whether we're thinking about the future, whether we're thinking about our guilt or our sense of feeling unclean. No matter what the issue is, as we come to all of Scripture, we're seeing again and again, this is why you land your plane here. This is why you come to rest on Christ. It's not as though a Christian now gets a different manual once they come to trust in Jesus and now this is what is to guide you. It's the same gospel, but that same gospel changes them. They become strengthened in their resolve, their convictions. They become deeper in their hope. They become more enamored with Jesus than they first were. That's how Paul is talking about the walk or the way in which the Christian life flows. United to Christ. Rooted in him. Being built up in him. Established in the faith. Growing through him. So how does a person uh, live as a Christian? By deepening their understanding of Jesus. By building their life more and more on their understanding of him. This can also dispel perhaps some misconceptions about the Christian life as well. Because sometimes we can think about the Christian life in this idea of growth, and we might become discouraged that we don't see growth in our life. And there may be different reasons for that. It may be that there is sin in our life, there may be that we're looking at this in a short term perspective, it may be that we just can't see the signs of change in our lives. But the New Testament does stress growth. You see that in the metaphors that are being used here that you would be rooted in him, the idea of being built up in him, uh, the idea of being made firm in him. Those are all the ideas of growth and change and development. But that also helps us understand what real Christian growth looks like. Real Christian growth is a sense, a growing sense, of one's dependence on Christ in all things. That we are more firmly rooted in him. I know more now than before that I need Jesus. That constitutes growth. I realize more today than I did before how much sin has a hold in my life. That too is growth. I understand more and more my only hope in this life and in the next is Christ. That is hope. That is growth. And so when we think about what growth is, it means to be increasingly looking at things with reference to Christ. It means to be living increasingly with an aim to please Christ. These things will be manifested in the life of a Christian and ought to be growing in the life of a Christian. And so if we're looking at our own lives feeling discouraged, I don't see a lot of progress. I'm not, I'm not necessarily overcoming the sins that have beset me. I'm still wrestling with anger and pride. I'm still finding myself short-tempered, impatient with others. I still don't find that I have good self-control. Begin with the question, is Christ, is Christ treasured in your life? Do you, do you realize that he's your only hope? Because Paul is describing the Christian life as one that is flowing out from that relationship. That more and more everything is with reference to Christ. And not just with reference to self. The fourth thing that he mentions there is abounding in thanksgiving. Again, this theme has already emerged in Paul's letter talking about the Christian life. They are to be thankful knowing that God is the source of their faith in chapter 1. They are to be thankful because their inheritance and their redemption in Christ, also in chapter 1. But that theme of thanksgiving continues throughout the Christian life. The more we understand Christ, the more that we can appreciate him, the more we're thankful for him the more we are devoted to him. So the outworking, the dynamic, the rhythm of the Christian life is with reference to Jesus. That I am I'm connected to him. And that everything that he has earned is my hope. Everything that he has been awarded with is my basis of acceptance before God. That the way that I look at myself is now with reference to Christ. That I live on the basis of what he has accomplished. That is the life of the Christian. But the Christian life is also, we could say, worked out negatively. In verses 8 through 10, Paul once again warns uh, the, the church in Colossae. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Earlier, uh, Paul, you remember, warned against uh, not being deceived by plausible arguments. And now Paul again, once again, calls attention to the warning of uh, being taken captive by deceitful teachings. Uh, And he mentions why. He says, because ultimately these things are empty. They're empty in their deceit that the church in Colossae is living in a world where they are faced with many different ways of making sense of life and Paul warns them about being hoodwinked of being uh, swept up by things that are ultimately the traditions of men rather than the word of God while there is some ambiguity about what is meant by the elemental things or elemental spirits of the world What is clear is is that these teachings are not according to Christ. Paul is not condemning philosophy here. But what he is doing is tearing down anything that would oppose the truth of God's word. Anything that would set itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And so Paul here is simply calling attention to the fact that there are false narratives in the world. We need to be very careful in our own day about how we make sense of the world that we live in. There is a marketplace of ideas all around us. People want to promote a different way of thinking about the world or a way of organizing all events. When young people go off to college and to university, they are exposed to a myriad of views and a myriad of ways of accounting for reality and they need to be able to make sense that not everything that they hear is true. That's what Paul is getting at here. We need to be aware of how uh, different views account for reality. Who am I? What is wrong with the world? How do we put it right? How should I live? What determines right and wrong? These philosophies ultimately turn away from Christ and direct the focus elsewhere. They recast the way that we look at the world, and they take the focus off of Christ. But Paul warns not to be taken captive by them and to be so ensnared by their lies. Why? Because at the end of the day, as he says, they are empty, meaning they don't deliver what they were promising. And when you look at the worldviews that we are faced with, ways in which we account for uh, the the world in which we live, our world and life view. Without an understanding of the Trinity, any worldview will not be able to satisfy its own aims. The late Tim Keller was a Christian apologist uh, from the tw- uh, 21st uh, century, And he says, every alternative worldview fails on its own terms to give what it promises. And he names three things. A knowledge of the truth, a stable identity, and a basis for moral norms. A knowledge of the truth, a sense of identity, and a basis for moral norms. If we just take the first one, a knowledge of the truth. If you get rid of a foundation that acknowledges the Trinity, you don't have a knowledge of truth. You will ultimately be veered towards rationalism or towards empiricism. You will either ultimately give your your allegiance to what you can rationally deduce by your own mind or by your own sense perceptions, how you perceive things to be. And both of those will end ...with a conclusion that we just can't know. That truth ultimately is beyond our ability. We will be left at the end of the day skeptical. There will be things that we just don't know. And what Paul is saying and what the scriptures teach us... ...is is that we intuitively know there is truth. And that we long for truth. But it's only when we come to the knowledge of God in Christ... That truth sets us free. And so Paul is saying these these philosophies that you're hearing, these philosophies of how people account for reality, when they do not acknowledge the truth of God's word, they're going to be deceitful, they're going to be empty, they're not going to bring what they are ultimately promising. Truth, a sense of who you are, and a sense of a, a basis for moral norms. And so ultimately it, is, uh, it fails. But more than that, notice in verses 9 and 10, Paul says something else. He highlights all that we need is in Christ. He mentions two things about Christ in order to show the inadequacies of these philosophies of the world. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then in verse 10, he says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What is Paul doing here? He's highlighting who Jesus is. Deity refers to who God is. Who God is is revealed in a visible way in and through the Lord Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the temple imagery of the Old Testament. To enjoy God's presence, one does not need to have a heavenly vision. God's blessing is simply found in Christ. We don't have to climb up with our speculations in order to know God. God has revealed himself in Christ. He also says that he is the head of all rule and authority. One commentator makes an interesting observation, again connected with the temple. He says in the Old Testament, the mention of God dwelling with his people includes the idea that he is the king enthroned there in a victorious position over his people after defeating his enemies. Remember in chapter 1, it said that Jesus, in Jesus, the fullness of deity is pleased to dwell. That Jesus fulfills that idea of the temple in the Old Testament. And we highlighted that Paul is actually quoting there from Psalm 68. In the language that he is using when he says, please to dwell. You go back and you read in Psalm 68 and it highlights that with that idea of God being pleased to dwell. Comes the defeat of his enemies. And what Paul's point here is, is that when we know who Jesus is, we don't have to live in fear of false teachings. We don't have to live in fear of the traditions of men or the philosophies of this world. Because we have the truth. Because we have Christ. And so the way the Christian lives is not with a constant fear and trepidation of being overwhelmed by attacks or uh, uh, by skepticism. The Christian lives their life focused on what do they know about Jesus. And then they can move out from that point. I know that in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. I know that in him he is the Lord over all things. That he is the one who makes sense of all things. And through him I can live with confidence. When we recognize who Jesus is, then we don't have to look elsewhere for protection. We are able to live confidently on the basis of his finished work. How does a Christian then live their life? Paul says Christian lives by walking, but the walk, he says, is in Christ. Everything comes back to their relation to Christ. If I know who Jesus is, He becomes my strength. He becomes my song. He becomes my wisdom. He becomes my righteousness. He is my justification. His resurrection becomes my hope of a future resurrection. His word is my truth. His will is my my will. Everything now is with reference to Christ. And that brings about a transformation. Being rooted. Being built up. Being established. And abounding in thanksgiving. We said that thanksgiving is at the heart of the Christian life. But thanksgiving comes back to a knowledge of God in Jesus. And when we know who Jesus is, we're less susceptible to the false teachings that circulate. We're not afraid of them. But we're able to move into them because we have truth for a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, these words that we would understand how it is that we are living. We pray, Lord, that we would take stock not only what we are living for, but what we are doing with the Lord Jesus himself. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, understand that your word calls us to receive Christ Jesus, to be able to embrace him as uh, Savior and as Lord. And we pray, Lord, that more and more uh, this would be realized in our life. So go before us, we pray, and take away our sins. In Jesus' name.